Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We do welcome you back to the Good Shepherd series. And we have been working our way verse by verse by verse through Psalm 23. As we've mentioned in our last number of weeks, it is probably the most well-known chapter or passage of Scripture. Uh, Probably not the most well-known verse. That would be John 3.16. John 3.16 is held up in uh, large sporting events. Seen the individuals with the, the large sign says John 316. That's that's held up. I'm not sure that I've seen Psalm 23 held up at sporting events, but John 316 is. But as a chapter, as a passage, this entire chapter, it's only six verses long, and we've been taking it one verse at a time, just kind of working our way through a lot of these lessons and principles. But this is such a well-known chapter. Uh, we've said that many of you might have artwork or you might have some, some form of Afghan or tapestry that illustrates the Lord is my shepherd and, and there's uh, some great looking green pastures and, and little brooks and the, the still water of all those descriptions of Psalm 23. I was thinking of this yesterday. Uh, yesterday was uh, the Ada Farmers and Merchants Picnic, F&M Picnic. And just kind of roaming around, and didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but we went and we checked it out. And there was one little area, one of the 4-H families had brought a lot of their animals. And guess what they had? They had some sheep. And so just in the midst of the park, there were some sheep and a little bit of a pen. And so it's just, it continues to keep that mind rolling, that mind thinking about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And on and on as we've, we've looked at each of these verses and, and what we can find. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at verse 5, and we'll, we'll read it in both King James and NIV. They're, they're near identical except for the EST uh, that King James often adds. King James would read it like this. Psalm 23, verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. In the NIV, as many of you would have it, says a little bit more familiar English, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So all... uh, section-long, passage-long, series-long, we've been looking at this definition of God as the good shepherd and, and all of who he is, what kind of a God, what kind of a shepherd he is. So this morning, what we're looking at is we are looking at a God who provides. We're going to take a look at several different areas and in, in how God provides and then how we can allow him to guide and provide In our lives. So, first of all, he's a God who provides, so let him, let God settle your scores. Whew. Here's an interesting thought. The very beginning of this verse says, You uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my, what's that word? Uh, Say it a little louder back there, Bonnie. Enemies. That's an interesting verse, interesting word. We've not really seen that word enemies before. How many of you would think that sheep would have some natural enemies? I mean, there are some other animals who really like sheep, and the sheep don't really like them, right? 
And they'd be like wolves and coyotes and, you know, those kinds of aggressive animals who look as sheep. Uh, they're kind of snacks. They're like breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or, or the ever-popular fourth meal. I mean, sheep to many of these animals would be considered that. And these sheep have these enemies. They've got these other animals that are wanting to take them out. Are sheep able to settle their own scores? Are sheep able to just take care of their enemies? Just say it loud. Say no. No. We know that sheep are, are they're, they're pretty wimpy, right? This big fluffy body and these four kind of spindly little legs, right? Do sheep have fangs? Can they kind of snarl like, like maybe dogs or coyotes? And, and can they look impressive with their, with their meaty, pointy fangs? No, they don't have any of those. Okay, well, um, how about claws? Do they have claws with which to kind of claw and attack the animals? No claws. So no fangs, no claws. Uh, they don't even have the, the horns of you know, maybe some of the, the goats. They don't have uh, the, the stinky smell of, well, the skunk. I mean, there's just not much that they have to be able to do. They can't make things right. They can't go on the offensive against their enemies and take care of them. You know how they get by? They've got to trust. They've got to rely upon someone or something, hint, their good shepherd, to oversee and take care of and protect and make things right. It's the good shepherd who's going to keep the sheep safe and keep them from their enemies and keep their enemies from them. The good shepherd is one who does this. It's not the sheep out saying, let me at them, let me at them. The coyote would say, fine, come on. I'll take care of you. As in eat you. So the sheep, they're not able to kind of settle the scores. They're not able to make things right. They're not able to take out their enemies. They've got to rely upon the shepherd to do that. Now, for the most part, this, this psalm and this chapter, it's been pretty peaceful, right? Talking about the Lord is my shepherd and, and not wanting anything and green pastures and still waters. Well, yeah, we sort of had that valley of the shadow of death, but real quickly after that was the fact that I would fear no evil because, God, you're with me and your rod and your staff comforts me. That's the first mention of enemies in this chapter. When we think about enemies, when we think about these difficult situations, don't we tend to kind of tense up a little bit? I mean, think about if you've had an enemy or you've had a difficult situation with a friend, a family member, somebody in school, somebody in work, somebody as a neighbor, somebody in the community, and, and you kind of walk or enter into the same place. You know, you, you enter the room, the classroom as they enter, or you enter the, the job site as they enter, or you enter some, some business in the community as they enter. Don't, don't you 
internally you kind of tense up a little bit and you're not sure how to handle this kind of situation. Many times what we do is, is we focus on that. We focus on the enemies. We focus on the challenges. We focus on the fears rather than our God as the good shepherd who can oversee, who can guide, and who can make things right in our lives. The challenge is don't try to get even. Don't try to settle the score. Don't try to handle things on your own. That's a challenge for us because here's what happens. If somebody wrongs you, what's the first thought? I'm going to get them back. Are we being honest here? It's okay to be honest in church. We should be honest anywhere. If somebody wrongs you, very honestly, there's this thought that says, well, I'm going to get you back. Now, how do we want to get them back? Do we want to get them back up to the level of their wrong and no more? Or do we want to surpass the level of their wrong? Not in your head. We want to surpass it. So you say something that hurts my feelings. I don't want to just say something that equally hurts your feelings. I want to say something that really gets you. Somebody does something that irritates. Sometimes our first thought is, well, what can I do to get them? You know, sibling to sibling, coworker to coworker, whatever the case might be. And then what happens? Things continue to escalate. Because someone does something first, and then our response is, that, that fleshly response is, but I want to get them back. But I don't want to just get you back even. I want to make it uneven and get you back worse. But when we get them back worse, what's their response? Oh, they want to get us back. And it just escalates and escalates. When David is saying, listen, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can you imagine or just, just picture here the shepherd and he's supposed to take care of, he's supposed to be providing for his sheep. And, and part of what they would do, this table, we often think there's kind of this, this mixed metaphor going from shepherds and then all of a sudden to this table set, which it can work as well. But very often they would look at shepherds as preparing this table or this, this table and this flat area that would be prepared for their sheep. And they would go and, and not just prepare the right place for them to go and, and bring and be able to eat and to feed, but they're also removing certain things that ought not be there. Maybe there's some plants in there that would be harmful to them, and they're making sure that they pull those, pluck those. They're, they're preparing this area. They're trying to remove or drive out some of those Wolves or coyotes or animals who would have conflict with the sheep. So this good shepherd is preparing the way, kind of setting the table, if you would, for these sheep. And he is able to take care of this for us. Sheep, they're not able to prepare the things for themselves. They trust in and rely upon their shepherd. And so part of the encouragement is that God is the one who provides. Let him handle it. That, that inner, inner working thought of us is, I'm going to handle my business. 
I'm going to take care of my own business. And if something happens to me, I'm going to go handle it against you. And the challenge is, can we allow God as our good shepherd who loves and cares and oversees us to provide and prepare the way, not just in providing and preparing what we do need, but removing some of the other things that ought not to be there. Revenge is is often key in our hearts and key in our lives. The encouragement here is give this to God. Give our needs to God. Give our, our hurts to God. Give these situations to God and say, God, you handle this. Rather than us trying to handle our business, rather than us trying to right all of these wrongs that we feel have been done, allow God. Because here's this this table land, this meal, this preparation for his sheep in the midst of the enemies. Likened to you and I, how would that be if, if we had this incredible banquet feast and as you sit down at this exquisite banquet across from you at the table is that person who drives you crazy. That person you just can't stand. But God's overseeing this meal. God's overseeing the provision of what we do need and and what we don't need. The challenge is, God, I trust in you as the good shepherd. You can make things right. God's able to oversee things. Now, we want to help God out a little bit. Let's be honest, we want to help God out. We say, okay, God, I'm going to leave it to you, but I got a few suggestions. Here's a few things that I might suggest to do to him or to do to her because here's what they did to me. What we say, God, is you can handle it, but I want you to handle it my way. I want you to handle it on my timing. This is sometimes what we do, right? It's the challenge to allow God to handle it in his way. And sometimes what we say is, okay, God, I'm leaving it to you. And then we wait and we look around and we think, what's happened? Nothing, God. And we wonder, God, why aren't you smashing them? Smash them like the ant. Sometimes there's that that fleshly nature that comes out. We say, God, I... I I was really hurt, and I want you to to smash them and and settle the score, make the wrongs right. Sometimes God doesn't do any of those things immediately. Down the road, ultimately, we've got to make sure that we are right with him to enter into heaven with him. Ultimately, I'm not the judge. I I can't go around. I mean, I could put on a, a a big black, you know, judge's robe i could carry around a a little wooden piece and a little mallet and you know say order 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 in the court that does not make me a judge and i can go around and declare you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you're right you're right and i could make everything the way i would say it needs to be done i've got to leave that to the lord and ultimately at the end of the day we must be right with god And so he says, if we have been cleansed, if we have been forgiven, we will be in heaven with him. He is the one who judges individuals. It's not us. 
So the sheep, we're not the judge, we're not the jury. We can say, God, here's the situations, here's the challenges, but I'm going to leave it to you. Allow God to right the wrongs. Allow God to settle the scores. Here's what Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 19 says. Verse seven, uh, 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Again, there's that, that initial thought where when something evil has been done, when something bad has been done to us, we want to repay it. We, we want to return that to them. Then in verse 19, he says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In other words, God knows the deal. God knows the situation. God knows the hurt. God knows what's taken place. God sees it. God cares. God understands. That doesn't mean God's going to step into every situation and handle it the way that we think it should be handled. We can respond in forgiveness and then leaving that situation over to God rather than revenge or retaliation. Revenge and retaliation all kind of kind of feels good. At least we think it does. We, we feel better if, if maybe we say a zinger when someone says a zinger to us, if we, if we respond when someone says or does something to us. But ultimately, we're responding the exact same way that they have. Revenge and, and retaliation, it continues to keep that hurt, keep that pain going and keeping that alive. Give those needs, give those hurts to the Lord. Let Him handle it. We can rest in the provision. We can rest in the protection of a good shepherd who prepares what is needed for us. Let Him handle it. Let Him right the wrongs. Let Him oversee the situation. Let Him settle the scores. Secondly, as a God who provides, let Him heal our hurts. Next part of verse 5 says, You anoint my head with oil. No doubt if we took some time, each and every one of us would have some hurts, some stuff that maybe you're going through now or some things that maybe you've, you've gone through in the past and you would identify as hurts, stuff that you know, you've, you've kind of carried with you and brought with you. There's all different ways that people try to handle their hurts. Sometimes what we do is we just ignore them. We don't say anything about it. We, we kind of zip our lip, kind of suffer in silence. Maybe we pretend our hurts don't really exist because if, if we act like they don't exist, then maybe the hurt won't exist. And we just kind of hope that it goes away. Or we, you know, we deny that we have a problem or, or maybe minimize what we're going through. Because if we try to minimize it and we make it seem like it's not that big of a deal, then, then maybe it won't be as impacting in our lives. But ignoring the hurt, that really doesn't help. Sometimes it just kind of postpones the hurt. Other times we'll run from our hurt. Human nature says when difficulty comes or trials come or hardship comes, many times we just run. We don't want to deal with it. Rather than stopping and dealing with it, we'll run from it. Run from the pain. Try to escape it. Maybe try to run 
to something else rather than dealing with the issue. Many people try to run from issues or escape from issues, jumping into alcohol, drugs, sexual addictions, addictions of many other kinds. They are running from something to something else, but it's not God. And all of those things seem to offer something. They seem to offer a high, but when that high is gone and individuals come down from the high, guess what? What's still there? The problem. When the hangover is over, what's still there? The issue and the problem. And so individuals many times try to run from things, try to run from hurts, and they don't escape. People have the same issues and problems when they return. Many times we'll try to hide our hurts, try to, try to disguise it, keep it to ourselves. Maybe, maybe we get good at putting a mask on. Uh, not an actual Halloween mask, you understand. The mask of sorts. We're pretty good at kind of putting the, the face on. How's everything going? Oh, good. And we'll say I'm good almost without even thinking whether we're good or not. Because if we don't say we're good, we know we're going to have a whole bunch of other questions, and maybe we don't want to answer those questions. So to avoid it, we just say, I'm good, and we, we can have a, a church face on, right? Okay, everybody just look around right now. Just, just look at everybody's faces. And now, now try to think, I wonder who's hiding something. no. But chances are good there are individuals who, who kind of put that church face on and try to hide what really is taking place, disguising the hurts, hiding the hurts. The same thing is it, it really doesn't deal with them. Or sometimes we just, man, we, we worry about our, our hurts. How many of you are pretty good at worrying? I mean, if worrying was a class, you would be straight A student. Got a, got, a, got a few of you admitting to that, okay? So by worrying, does it make anything better? Does it change the situation? Unfortunately, it doesn't. Boy, we can spend a whole lot of time and effort and energy and worry. Many times it just gets bigger. Now, sheep, not only did they have these, these pretty large enemies, wolves and coyotes and maybe rattlesnakes or other types of uh, snakes that maybe would try to, to get to them. There would be some kind of small enemies that would attack, and it would be, well, they would be kind of small and, and difficult flies, nasal flies. These nasal flies would attempt to lay eggs on the damp mucous membrane of the sheep's nose, and if successful, the, the eggs would hatch and these small, slender, worm-like larvae would work their way up the nasal cavity inside the sheep's head. I know. I grossed you out. It's almost time for lunch. How many of you want some worm salad? <laughs> We're skipping lunch today, Pastor Mark. No. I mean, that doesn't sound very, very nice to have these living, growing larvae, worms up into your head. I mean, greatly would affect the sheep. And it said that many times these sheep, uh, maybe they would come and kind of beat their head against a tree or, or rub it against a rock. I mean, 
if you've got something inside, don't you want to get it out? Uh, what's, what's the sheep going to do? Can a sheep uh, take, take a pair of tweezers and stick it up there? And, no. Side note, in the last several days, uh, you might have seen this, this highlight or low light uh, from a baseball game in the last few days. There was an umpire who, I think it was at like second base, and he left the field and he met the athletic trainer of like the, the home team there, and he kept pointing to his ear, and you know he's, he's kind of hitting his ear, pointing to his ear, and the, the trainers, he gets out tweezers, and he's trying to do something. He can't handle anything. Finally, the, it looks like the ump grabs the tweezers, jabs it into his ear, grabs a hold of something, and pulls it out. It's a moth about the size of an inch flapping and fluttering its wings, still alive. He's holding it by the tweezers, hands it to the uh, athletic trainer, and jogs back out to the field. And so, you know, a little bit later in the action, they cut back to that, and, and they show him, you know, with all these facial expressions, and he just pulls this moth out of his ear. Now, just picture that. We're not a sheep, but imagine if you had a living, fluttering moth somewhere in your ear canal, what that would hear, uh, sound like, feel like, you would want that thing out. In much the same way, these sheep with this uh, nasal fly up kind of in their nasal cavity, they would want that out, but guess what? They can't do it on their own. They've got to trust in and rely upon the good shepherd. Sometimes it's, it's the littlest things that cause us the, the biggest difficulty, right? And so what the shepherd would do, they would take uh, olive oil and maybe some sulfur and they kind of make this concoction and anoint the head of the sheep, almost like an insect repellent, and the oil would soothe, the oil would heal, it's kind of like the shepherd is saying, I'm going to take care of the things that irritate you. I'm going to take care of the things that affect you. Because if it's important to you, it's important to God. It's a, a really neat example of that this past week. Autumn had been saving up some gift cards for a particular purchase. And the, the time came to then use those gift cards for her purchase, but she couldn't find them. She's, she's very disciplined in, in where she has her, her money and her purses and, uh, and, and gift cards, and she looked everywhere. I mean, it, it was 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. She's gone, and, and I was just heartbroken. She could not find this special duct tape wallet that she had made that these gift cards were in. And she'd saved them up for a while. So I went and saw her in a room. We, we started looking for a couple minutes, and he just kind of felt impressed. I said, Autumn, do you think that God's concerned about the things that you're concerned about? She says, yeah. I said, we're going to pray. Said, we're going to pray that God's going to help us, you know, maybe to, to think about or or, or find in this room with you know, all kinds of stuff. Maybe to look in a place you haven't looked or, or be able to find where those gift cards are. Or you know what? Do you believe that God can even 
take those gift cards from maybe where they are in this room and, and place them in a place where we can find it. I believe that God can help you to find what you're looking for. So we paused. We just kind of hugged. We prayed. Very simple prayer. God, help us to find these or, or place them in a, in a location where we can find these. It's important. We know that you can do it. So I continued kind of looking in the spot where initially she said, well, it was here, and I think it was here, and I'm looking kind of at the stuff near, near the, the scene of the, the disappearance. It wasn't 30 seconds. She had moved to the other side of the room. She sat down on a little, uh, little stool, and she turned. She said, Dad! And she held up the duct tape wallet. She said, and she hadn't opened it yet. She said, I don't know if it's in there, but I think this is it. And she opened it up, and there were every single one of her gift cards. I said, well, Autumn, where did you find it? She said, well, I went and, and sat down on this. She said, I had some of my clothes were, were on this little ottoman, so I took the clothes from the ottoman and put it on the chair, and then I sat down on the ottoman to look around. And when I looked at the chair, on top of the clothes that she had just put there was her duct tape wallet. If it matters to you, it matters to him. And as the good shepherd, we can allow God to heal our hurts, to guide and to direct, to help find the, the duct tape wallet that's lost, to, to give insight into decision making, to, to heal bodies, to provide financially, God is able to heal the hurts that we experience. So the shepherd in Bible days would, would use the oil as that repellent, as that, as that salve, as that ointment, maybe putting oil on an open wound to heal. God does the same things in our lives to heal and, and to guide and to direct and to restore Here's what Psalm 147, verse 3 says. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up, and some versions would say bandages their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages wounds. Whatever kinds of hurts or needs we experience, the physical hurts, the financial hurts and needs, and emotional, relational, spiritual, God heals and God bandages the wounds. It's not just that we can leave our hearts and our lives in his hands and trust in him to settle the score or oversee and make things right in, in his time period. We know that God can heal the hurts. Allow him to do that in your heart and in your life. Maybe you've been carrying some hurts around from, from the past situations and you can allow God to soothe and cleanse and just restore your life to heal those hurts. He can and will desire to do that. Finally, this morning, not just to, to settle the scores and make things right, not just to heal the hurts and, and be concerned with what we're concerned about, but finally, as a God who provides, let Him satisfy your needs. Very familiar final phrase here in verse 5. It says, he, 
anoints our head with oil, and the very last few words says, my cup overflows. That overflowing cup, it's, it's that symbol of total satisfaction and, and complete dependence and satisfaction from God. It means I've got everything that I need. I've got to look to the Lord to meet and to supply our needs. Many times we're turning to and, and we're looking to other individuals to say, this person's going to meet my need or this thing is going to meet my need. And there's, there's a, a lot of great things that we can own. There's a lot of great people that can be in our lives. But ultimately, it's only God who can satisfy, who can heal, who can provide the salvation that is needed. No one else can truly satisfy the way that God does and can. At one point in time, people let us down. Things will let us down, but God will never let us down. We can trust in Him to meet and to satisfy the needs. Now, it's been said that back in, in the Middle Eastern, this biblical culture in that particular point in time, if you were to go to someone's house, certainly there was a, a lot of hosp hospitality. How would you know exactly when it was time to leave? Some of you are you're wondering, well, if i got somebody at my house, how do I let them know it's time to go? If I'm staying at somebody else's place, how do I, how do I understand this? Well, it's, it's a little bit likened to, um, to today's culture with, um, with restaurants. If you go to, you go to a restaurant, right, and, and I served uh, back in Bible college days, I was a, a server at a, at a hotel and a restaurant and did a number of different things there. And, and you would fill up that glass, right? You fill it up with water or you fill it up with uh, some Coke or uh, fill up that cup of coffee. And you are trying to be as mindful as possible so that when that's empty, you're filling it up. When it's half full, you know, you're, you're topping it off, you're filling up, you are keeping everything going. But from a server's perspective... When things get busy and somebody is done, what you hope is they leave so you get another table so you can serve them and hopefully get some more tip. Now, how many of you at times, we've been that table that you connected with somebody who you hadn't seen in a long time, and so you went, you had your meal, and you were done, and then you just sat and sat and talked and talked. I mean, time goes by, time goes by, time goes by. And you look around and you think, man, it's been forever. Where's our server? They haven't been back with your drink. It's kind of a hint. I've given you the bill. I'm not bringing more water. I'm not filling up your coffee. I want you to pay and go. That's really what they're saying. They just won't tell you that. And in a similar aspect here back in biblical days, when you would come to the home, they would fill up your cup. And certainly you would, you would drink that and, and they would refill your cup. And basically, as long as they kept refilling your cup, you were good to stay. And when they did not refill that cup anymore, that's kind of the symbol. Hey, it is, well, look at the time. Oh, I'm tired. However, in some cases, if a host 
had some guests over, and they wanted to indicate that they were welcome to just stay. Not only would they just kind of take and put a little bit in your cup, not only would they take and, and fill it right up and keep filling it, they would take and just fill, 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 till that cup overflowed to the ground. Now, some of you probably not want to do that in your home, spilling Coke all over the floor, having that, that coffee cup in the, in the dining room and just having coffee all over the place. But there's that overflowing cup that says, you are welcome here. I am going to be taking care of you. I'm going to satisfy your needs. It meant, man, you are special to this host. God looks to you and I, and he says, you are special. Speaks a little bit of what Jesus talks about in the New Testament. John 10.10 says, I am come that they might have life and have it what? More abundantly. He's comparing and contrasting his life with that of the enemy. He says the thief, the enemy, Satan would come to steal and kill and destroy, but I'm come that you would have life. And not just a little bit of life, not just scraping by life, but an abundant life. He's come to meet and to supply and to abundantly take care of our needs. Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. He's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's a good shepherd who loves. That's a good shepherd who cares about. That's a good shepherd that's able to supply and provide and satisfy in our needs. That doesn't mean that everything is met exactly when we pray it, exactly when we want it. But as a good shepherd, he sees what is best for us. He takes care of us. He oversees us. He satisfies the needs in our life. He says, I'll, take, I'll prepare that table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'll anoint your head with oil. Your cup will overflow. He's a God who provides. So let him do that. Let him settle the score. Let him make things right. Let him heal your hurts, past hurts, present hurts, future hurts. Surrender those to him. Allow him to heal and soothe and to bandage up, if you would, those wounds that we experience. And then let him satisfy. Let him provide for your needs. He's a God who provides. 